HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. <laughs> Joined again this week, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Good. We got uh, Dave in the booth. Good. And we got Matthew sitting. <laughs> not our Matthew, though, right? No. Different Matthew. Different Matt. Matt. Matt, what do you do for, what do you do for a living in the booth over there? Uh, I just watch Dave move knobs. Yeah? Is this, like, in it, like, so that someday you can, like, have someone watching you move knobs? Is that the goal here? No, my goal is to professionally watch him. Wow, that's a sweet job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So specific. Yeah. Hey, by the way, this is the last show before Thanksgiving, so call in your last minute. Th- Although, odds are, look, it's Tuesday. If you haven't planned your Thanksgiving, I'm not going to say that you're host, but pretty much... Your host. Your host. Uh, yeah. Call in your... Uh, 
Thanksgiving or other related questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. But since this week is Thanksgiving, what does that mean for next week, Nastasia? Do you know? It means we will be knee deep in Christmas music. Oh, Nastasia yeah. and I go. Woo. We go Ugh. ape. We oh come on. Come on. Really, Nastasia? I'm yeah. I'm surprised. First of all, Nastasia gets to bring out her Christmas hat, mm-hmm. which is one of the great hats of all times. Mm-hmm. Have you, Dave? Have you seen? Of course, you've seen Nastasia's Christmas. What hat. What is it like a Santa hat? It's a no, tree. it's a tree. It turns her head into a Christmas tree, and I await it. Every year, with the same sort of expectation that other people wait for the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Wow. Every, every year she threatens, she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to light it up this year. I'm going to get some lights <laughs> and like a battery. Cool. But she never does. Yeah, cool. She spends too much time on the wine Santas. By the way, so describe the hat. Describe the hat. You've seen it. It's just a, tr- a Christmas tree. Oh, it, it's right. that's lit, that has lights, but they're not. Ball, little balls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got little things coming off of it, mm-hmm. and it's like pointed and mm-hmm. tall. Mm-hmm. And, it, and year after year, it manages to never look crestfallen. Like, yeah. a, like a, you know, hemlock trees, not the stuff that, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Socrates. That's a small plant that he poisoned himself on. Uh, or when he allowed himself to be poisoned with hemlock trees, they they the tip of them goes over to one side. Mm. That's one of the ways you know a that it's a hemlock tree and not like a some sort of regular pine tree. And b that's how you can tell the direction of prevailing wind usually because mm. that's how they uh, cool. that's how they go over. But mm. yeah, mm. but Nastasia's tree clearly always erect. Some sort of <laughs> spruce or fir, or you, you know, <laughs> like you know, sticking straight up in the air. You know what I mean? Uh, so, <laughs> wow, you know. So anyway, so I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to obviously Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, mm-hmm. our favorite. Our favorite. Yeah. Although I played the, uh, you know, uh, I think his name is Arlie Ermy. You know, the guy from Full Metal Jacket, the drill yeah, sergeant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I played. Oh yeah, that's the good. version of his voice over top of the lead elf screaming at <laughs> Hermie and. and to, and you know what? My Jen was not amused. Really? Maybe it's because she thought it was inappropriate language for a 12-year-old to hear. But no, I mean, nothing look. Nothing sacred. like it. Of course he liked it. It's got, it had all sorts of like horrible, like, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Do you know that they have, this is totally not cooking related, but do you know that they have a difficult time? Now, it used to be that like it was super easy for them to find drill instructors. A lot of people wanted to be, depends on which branch of the service you're in, whether it's a drill instructor, drill sergeant, drill, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, apparently, like, the rules now, because you're not allowed to personally insult people to the extent that you used to, mm-hmm. it's harder and harder to find people because everyone wants to basically, mm-hmm. you know, scream maggot at people mm-hmm. all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, a little aside. Mm. I have no... Anyone who anyone who's currently in the service and is on the chat or, you know, recently, you know, weigh in on, uh, weigh in on new school versus old school drill instructing... Because, you know, it's kind of like, it, it, it goes back a little bit to what we've been saying about the kitchen, the way a lot of kitchens yeah. kind of run this way. Uh, I think unnecessarily, because it's not the military, and, you know, if you don't lives snap... Lives aren't at stake. Yeah, lives aren't at stake. It's not like you have to, it's not like you have to, like, you know, blindly count on the person next to you. Whether you loathe them as a human being, right, in the military, you have to count on them with your life, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And kitchens, it's more like, it's important that you not mess up the food. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not saying it's not important. Obviously, I, I, you know, I, base, I base my professional life on not, trying to not mess up the food. I'm trying to be a person of quality. But it's not the same. I mean, let's be a little bit. Let's get a little we are low-quality individuals at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. But yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is let's get a little bit of perspective on, on it. You know what I mean? Um, Can we talk about that the spin cells are going to be at Amazon soon? 
Uh, well, they're supposed to be there already. Nastasia and I—they're they're not going to hoard them by Black Friday. Some are going to be there by Black. Friday. That's a lie. Nastasia, okay, here I am hoping it's a lie. It's not going to happen. People, I'm telling you, we're hoping for Cyber Monday, which is what a load of horse crap that is, right? Cyber Monday. Mm-hmm. And what do they get if they order it? A spinzol. <laughs> <laughs> is there right. anything special? Listen, listen, people, listen. I, I, I have to. Those of you that already have it. First of all, we have one. Well, we have a, a listener who said, "I bought one, but I didn't tell my significant other," and she already is like, "Why do you have this Searsall thing?" Mm-hmm. And now, and it, yes, it is a man. Mm-hmm. Yes, has a, uh, a Spinzall. Wants to know what he can make in it to please the significant other, such that they will not think that it is that it is a ridiculous purchase. So I was like, I don't know. What do they like? You know what I mean? And, and you know, the thing is, like, unless you really like clarified juices, I was like, make a lot of butter for them because that's cool. Make labne. Where is he from? Uh, well, you, uh, guess. Your favorite. I think it's, it's one, of our, one of our Canadian one of our Canadian listeners. We'll talk about it later. But if any of you guys have uh, recipes out there to convince the significant other. I'm going to send out a blast to everyone that has a spinzol, and I want to know how they're using it and if they're using it for Thanksgiving purposes. I need to make some stuff for Thanksgiving because yeah. we we're, we're hoping to get, like, in fact, Nastasia wants to have a contest. Mm-hmm. We've got to see what we're going to give people, but a contest for, you know, cool uses of the spinzol other than the stuff that we've already uh, done. So look for an email today. So what are we gonna do? Like uh, t-shirts, no. cocktail cubes. No. T- what? What? I don't know. What? We I don't know. Why not the cocktail cube? I don't know. We could give a cocktail. You don't like the t-shirts? Probably got a bunch of those laying around. Yeah. Well, if anyone has any opinions over what we should give as a prize uh, that doesn't involve uh, traveling across the nation, um, you could give Dave a personal phone call. No one wants a personal phone call with me. What no do you no one Dave? wants a personal phone call. What are they going to get? Me? Yeah. What are yeah. they going to get? I'm, I'm look. I'm much worse. People. Anyone that's ever had a personal phone call with me knows how they go. I'm either like, I'm either just trying to get off the phone, or I'm, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm. Do you ho- and Nastasia scream at each other on the phone every day? No, not every day. Not oh, on okay. Tuesdays because we know we're going to see each other, mm-hmm. and then we uh, wait until afterwards. But like pretty much every other day, one of us. Is had has had a bad time, and so like we will we we can't allow the other person to just go along with right. it. We yeah. have to. Speaking of phones, uh, and and by the way, Dax said, "Hey, Dad, uh, you gonna get to any food things this week?" Really? Like, yeah. He's like he's already sticking it to me. Wow. A twelve year old. Wow. Maybe I shouldn't show him that uh, the drill drill sergeant stuff. Anyway, drill instructor stuff. So uh, I was thinking about this. I was in the. In the grocery store, right? And I was watching this kind of, you know, 20-something millennial person. Like, her face, like, connected to her phone as she was checking out at the grocery store such that the cashier, who also is usually face deep in a phone while she's doing her job, (laughs) is, like, shoving the receipt, like, into this uh lady's eye. uh And I was like, I was like, you know, if I lived in, if it... If I pulled this kind of garbage of not knowing what was going on around me in New York City in the 80s, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like I would have been naked. I would have, I would have looked down and been like, where's my pants? They've been stolen. Along with my, you know, oh my God. Like, if, if I owned a car, I'd look over and, like, all the wheels would be gone. And if the thief was nice, it would be on cinder blocks. Usually not. You know what I mean? Like, unless it helps them get the rims off, they're not going to bother with the blocks. And I was like, what? Like, like you would have been, like... That's it. You would have been toast. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess it's a 
like this whole New York City millennial phone self-absorbed thing would not have been possible back in the days before it was ridiculously safe here mm-hmm. in the city. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, people could, people walk around like they're in their own wombs. You're also presuming that only millennials get lost in their phones, which is definitely not true. Well, no, that's true. But I mean, like I do it time to time. I have to admit, everyone does it time to time. But as someone who used to walk around the streets having to, like, all, you always had to look over your shoulder. You right, had your right. bag in a certain way on guard. I see people now with crap hanging out of their mm-hmm. pockets, like dollar bills. And it's like, in one way, like, thank goodness the city is safe like that. But on the other hand, I mean, gracious. Like, like when people travel, do we just get... Do we just get like obliterated in other countries that aren't safe because we just don't pay attention to the world around us? Or do we suddenly get our kind of animal instinct back on and like learn how to not... Animal Instinct, Monday nights on Heritage Radio Network. Really? Yeah, it's a show. Mm. What is, what's it about? Animals. What about them? How Their they taste? Instincts. No, 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 no. It's, it's, how uh, to hunt them? No. No, it's like loving and caring for animals. Really? Yes. Like pets? Well, not necessarily. Like there was one about whales. Mm. Mm. Um, you know. I have a... Uh, I told you, like I would never eat, I would never eat a, a, a whale, right? But I have several old recipes for whale, and apparently, like in Norwegian whales, the big marker is like I, I forget whether it's one ton or two ton. But it's so weird, to, like to read old recipes for things that are horrific that you would never eat nowadays, but used to be out. And then you know, you ask yourself, what's it going to be like in a hundred years? Are people going to look back and be like, "Ooh, hamburger? What you?" You know what I mean? If you had a beach house and a whale washed up on shore, would you eat it? Okay, uh, that's illegal. Would you eat it? Uh, and for those of you out there, uh, everybody should know that it's a long-standing proposition of mine that if my arm was severed and there was no possibility of reattachment, that I would, of course, cook it and eat it because why would you not? Like, I wouldn't do it to somebody else's arm because that's gross and I think invasive – you know, to them. Wait, if it was already off and you were starving, you wouldn't do that? No, he doesn't need to be starving. He's starving. It's off. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's off. You it's just don't want to waste the arm? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> am I wrong on this? But what if there's plenty of food available? No. No, I, I, no I mean, like, 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 why wouldn't you, why would you throw yourself, it away? Given the opportunity? Well, I don't how know. How would you cook it? Oh, my God. Well, for... Okay, so this is this is a well known uh, a well known way to operate. So, in the same way that when you're testing whether something is poisonous or not, when you're testing something that you have a very finite quantity of it and you want to cook it, first thing to do is to research. Hist- and this is how this came up because you're talking about whales. Research historical antecedents. Mm-hmm. This is something that people used to do, mm-hmm. right? Uh, notwithstanding uh, some scholarship from the early '90s. Uh, saying that almost all cannibalism stories are overwrought and not true. I think that person was wrong. But, you know, so uh, th- this is a known thing. You know what I'm saying? So uh, look it up, first of all, and then small, sm- t- small, small pieces to do some tests. You know what I'm saying? Fingers. No, like in terms of not in, ter- in terms of like cooking ability. No, I, mean, I know, I know, but you'd have to. I mean, obviously, I'd probably do immersion circulation. Now, the problem is, is that being a forty, uh, being a forty-seven-year-old person, you know, my collagen is in such a state that uh, the issue is connective tissue on older animals. If you've cooked older animals, like uh, like very old animals, like they, it's hard uh, it, you, to do the, the long. Uh, low temperature stuff is somewhat difficult because um, the muscle structure doesn't break down in the same way. Uh, so it tends to be tougher overall, even throughout the kind of cooking process. But I haven't done enough tests on super old animals for super long. But you're uh, not a super old. 
animal. Well, compared to my life, I mean, I'm like... Yeah, relative to the rest of humanity. Yeah. I mean, look, relative to back in the day, like, I'm ancient. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, when our average, you know, mortality age was in the 20s, mm-hmm. like, you know, I've doubled that. Yeah, this meat is spoiling. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, point being uh, that uh, my feeling is that a lot of older animals are pretty fussy in the cooking and that the low temperature stuff that you would do with a normal... Uh, younger food animal would not necessarily work exactly the same way on an older animal that you might go from a situation where it goes from tough to being mushy with not a lot in between. So you might have to go through some, as we in the trade call it, mechanical tenderization, some sort of jackharding of the situation first, and then with your one remaining hand. You know, (laughs) happy Thanksgiving, people. Happy Thanksgiving. You wouldn't try to put That's it back beautiful. on your body? What? You wouldn't try to put it no, back on? No, no. The, the conceit of the argument, Nastasia, is, is that it is gone. <laughs> there is no chance. Yeah, no chance of reattachment. No chance okay. of reattachment. Okay. You're just jacarding your own arm. <laughs> With the remaining hand. I mean, the thing is, I mean, what would you do? You wouldn't? Dave, you're saying you wouldn't? It, if I was starving to death, yes, I wouldn't do it just because it was laying around. What would you, you, you would do? throw it away? Well, you would just, just throw it in a dump? Well, so wait, if, if I, again, have no option to reattach. Right. You would just waste it? You would throw it away? Yeah, I mean, my first inclination wouldn't be to eat my own arm unless I was starving. You would just throw it away? I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Is that what you want me to say? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I think everyone says that I'm terrible and disgusting or whatever. You know, I've been, I've been likened to many, like when I... When I when I push what I believe is logical to the farest extent of what can be pushed, I am often referred to, uh, uh, you know, it, with very unkind comparisons. Let's put it this way. I was, uh, but, I mean, the, the you know the thing is, is that's why you gotta you gotta push push your belief all the way to the edge to see when we, you know, I hope that will never happen. I'm not looking to lose. I like having my arms. You right, know but that's I mean? not the that's not the issue. It's just that. If I didn't need to eat my arm to survive, why would I? Because you want to know what it tastes like. But I... No. <laughs> Nastasia is a little bit with me here. I'm a little bit. I see that. But I would be horrified to lose my arm. Of course you'd be yeah. horrified to lose your so arm. So I guess I could put it on ice. I'd put it on ice. Like a wedding cake. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> One year later. Yeah. And then just like what happened to me, what if your cousin goes into your fridge and eats it? Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Um... So anyway, so back to Thanksgiving. Uh, as I said, this year I'm doing the two turkeys, the two turkeys phenomenon, and uh, I'll report back. But um, I don't anticipate it being a problem. One thing, if you're going to do a two turkey situation and you break up the one turkey to cut into individual uh, to to cook individually in individual pieces, I'm doing it. Uh, my second turkey, I'm doing um, I'm doing chicken fried chicken fried turkey. So I'm cutting the I'm cutting the pieces into manageable size pieces that people would want to eat as singular singular pieces. I'm going to do a milk, salt, sugar. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to cook a milk, salt, sugar low, pull them out when they're still hot, let the skin flash off. Then I'm going to do flour. Uh, then I do a mixture of uh, buttermilk, eggs. So typically one uh, egg, uh, one large egg per cup of buttermilk with, uh, you know, Two I, unfortunately, I don't measure any of this stuff. Bake, baking um, soda to counteract the um, acidity and baking. Because if you don't counteract the acidity in buttermilk batter, people, this is a, a nice technical point for you. If you don't counteract the acidity in, in a buttermilk um, 
uh, recipe, your crust will not get uh, very brown. It'll stay blonde because the Maillard and the browning reactions that happen in the crust are accelerated by basic, and but they're also inhibited by uh, acidic conditions. So if you've ever made pancakes, a lot of times what will happen when you're making a pancake with buttermilk, let's say, is you'll add a combination of both baking soda and baking powder, uh, right? The baking powder is the stuff that, you know, rises usually typically when it's heated, although double acting rises twice, and the soda makes bubbles right away, but the soda also um, counteracts the, or, or neutralizes the acid that's in the, the buttermilk. And if you don't add the soda and you just do baking powder into your um, buttermilk, you'll notice that all of your pancakes come out blonder than uh, they would otherwise. And uh, most people don't like their pancakes to have kind of a sallow tone. So it can be, it can be somewhat problematic. So, I mean, it, I don't think it'll affect the f flavor necessarily that much, but a lot of people judge a fried good based on its color when it comes out of the fryer. And it is also a note that, uh, you know, like, Unless you're doing tempura, which is supposed to be like horribly undercooked and blonde, people like a nice golden color. Anyway, so uh, the other program that we like is going to be on soon too. Which one? It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, you watched that? that we never I talked about that. Yeah. Oh, Angel gets, gets, gets me every life. time. <laughs> really? Yeah. Are you like ding ding ding? Really? Yeah, it's so sweet. What? For real? Yeah. All right. There's a caller who has a cannibal-related question. Oh. All right, caller, you're on the air. Well, I had a real question, but I wanted to throw a cannibal, cannibal angle. All right, what do you well, got for me? You don't cannibal have to angle. Is that when cooked or, and it's Thanksgiving related too, or when cooked are humans white or dark meat or a blend of both, or are they just red meat and all one color? Uh, uh -huh. But I'll throw that out there for thought. I don't know if that has an answer. But the real question I had um, relates to um, potentially – a cranberry-esque sauce uh, that I don't want to kill people with. Mm -hmm. I have some raspberries that uh, foraged in Maine in August that I forgot about at the back of the fridge that seem to have been living in the sort of free, colder zone, not exactly freezer zone at the rear of the fridge. They seem to have started fermenting, but they don't really taste on like alcoholic at this point, but they're not moldy either. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if one, if they're just partially frozen, is that what's going on? Two, is there any good way to use these? And is some sort of cranberry sauce with some sort of funky flavor appropriate, or should I just toss them? All right, so the, the, you've said some key things here, right? There's no mold on them, so th that's good news. Uh, if they were moldy, I'd say get rid of them, especially in a semi-liquid environment like um, the, uh, any sort of toxins, mycotoxins produced by the mold can penetrate uh, deeper than you can see, and especially in something where it's liquid like that, I, you know, liquidy, I would, definitely not, um, I would definitely not chance it. I will – now – I regularly, when I, and th this is, by the way, a tip for you if, you know, any spins all people out there. When I clarify juices for an event and I have stuff left over, I keep it in the fridge and let it ferment. And so typically uh, there's enough kind of wild uh, stuff floating around and typically the acid level of most of these juices is high enough uh, and you're not sealing away um, oxygen, so you're not going to get in a situation where you have something unsafe. 
uh, you get some really nice kind of fermentations, and they happen over a very long period of time, almost like um, lagering. And in fact, you'll get like a bottom, uh, often you'll get like a bottom sediment of yeast at the bottom of it, and they'll keep going. And what I typically do, it, so if it was sealed in a jar, you should notice some gas puffing. You open it, it puffs out. Um, that they taste pretty good. Yeah, it's in, in plastic, so it seems to have puffed up, but there's enough, you know, popping the popping the lid off that some seems to escape too. But yeah. it seems to be, you know, having exerting some pressure. How's so it I'm taste? Guessing it's fermenting. How's it taste? It tastes funky. I, I haven't delved deep into it because I wasn't quite sure exactly whether it was it was safe or not. Though I was presuming it was safe. Yeah, I mean, so, I'm I'm not a I mean, you know, fair warning here. I'm not a microbiologist, but uh, I do this on a constant basis. And that's how I figured out that I really liked fermenting clarified orange juice until it's dry. So now I pitch, I actually pitch yeast into clarified orange juice to turn it full dry because I love it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, as kind of like a, you know, like a, it's, I don't know what you would call it because it's not a cider. It's not a beer. I don't know what the hell. We call, I call it like orange beer because it gets its bitterness back when you ferment out all the sugar. It gets its bitterness back, which is nice. In fact, I dope it with a little bit of extra sugar. Um, so so if, if, if I did a cook preparation, like a cranberry sauce kind of thing with this, am I going to lose the interesting stuff by bringing, you know, by heating it? Or is it still going to retain whatever funk it has? Uh, well, it'll lose uh, some of the alcohol, and the chase flavor will change as it heats. But it'll retain in the same way that when you cook with uh, well, beer is a bad example because it's got the hops in it as well, which interacts strangely. But like when you cook with like uh, white wines or um, ciders or things like that, it'll I think it'll it'll maintain its flavor in the way that those will. They'll add something to it. Um, but obviously it'll also change. So you're going to use this in lieu of, uh, are you a fan, by the way, of, um, are you a fan in your cranberry of adding orange? Because this could be in, in, in you know, instead of like orange. Do you like orange in your cranberry? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some people hate it. They're purists. They only use water. I also, you know what I add in my cranberry that is not standard? Some people like, some people don't. I add vanilla. Mm, I add a little bit of vanilla good. to it. It's good. I think it's good. I mean, no nut in my cranberry. I don't want any. I don't want any nuts Mm-mm. in my cranberry. Mm-hmm. I'm Except also. For... I'm also a leave the skins in person. Mm-hmm. You? What about uh, you, Carl? Are you skins or no skins? I like the skins. Yeah. I'll, but I mean, I, I, I'm thinking that parenthetically, no one has done a. Has anyone done a hipster version of just the jellied, the jellied cranberry where it comes out of the can with all the can striations? You mean like buy a can, and make your own cranberry, and do it? Dead. Uh, wait, but you so what? What I'm hearing you advocate is to make it, strain it through a jelly bag, and then and then set it in a, a can you have purchased for this purpose. I I don't think I will actually do that. I'm just that 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 that, that has not uh, I have not seen that come back to the forefront since that was my primary cranberry experience for about the first 15 years of my life. Yeah. Well, do you uh, do you watch The Simpsons? Yeah. Do you remember the episode when uh, Bart was uh, trying to help with Thanksgiving and he's like, I want to help, I want to help, I want to help. And then like, you know, pestering his mom to help. And then she finally, and then she's like, uh, do the cranberry sauce. And he's like, where's the can, where's the can, where's the can, where's the can opener, where's the can opener, where's the can opener. And, but here's where they get it wrong. When he goes, when he finally goes onto the plate, it collapses. But my memory of, yeah, it stands. my memory of, yeah, canned cranberry sauce is the sucker stands up. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? It's basically, it's basically a solid. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that there's a place for that. Uh, do you like uh, solid cranberry sauce in disc format, Nastasia? No. No? Mm-mm. But could it be done nicely? Do you, what, do you like European pectin fruit candies, which are like that squared? Yeah, I do. Like you like uh, yeah. pot fui and all mm-hmm. that crap? Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, someone could do like almost like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you could totally do it. I mean, I think it's a lot of extra work to go through, seeing as how. Like, yeah, I, I, I think I think I, th- I think I'll keep it simple. And, and then one last thing on this: is, you think something frozen, just like a sorbet, would, would also work? Or are you gonna? Is that gonna? You know, again, are you gonna? Is it just gonna taste like regular fruit if you if you go down that? No, direction? it's like wine sor- like wine sorbets or like uh, cider or beer sorbets. They retain uh, some of the characteristics that they had. I mean, uh, I've never done it with. With whole fruit before, right? But um, I mean, I just serve this stuff. Like I, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I served uh, like a five-month-old uh, fermented strawberry juice that was just really good. You know what I mean? Like when I was originally maybe even more than five months old, really good. People really like it. Um, it depends on how dry it is. Remember, if you're making, but a, it's not. It's not that. So that's. But it's when you're fermenting, you're short of making making it to the strength of wine. You you drink it bef- when it's in between. Yeah, you can drink it whenever you want. I mean, like the real question is, is, is um, how much residual sugar is left, right? So, mm-hmm. s- so certain fruits, as they ferment out their residual sugar, they uh, are uh, way too acidic, right? And so those typically need to be augmented, or you need to do something with them. But other, you know, other fruits um, kind of almost get better as a drink as their sugars ferment out. And this is one of my classic gripes with people when they start first making apple cider is is they taste their um, they taste their uh, apples and they're like, oh, this apple is balanced. And then, you know, when they ferment it out, it loses its balance because obviously the acid pops way the hell up. Was that an elephant? What was it? Uh, that was uh, our fearless leader, Patrick Martins, calling me in the middle of our radio show, even though he apparently should know that we're, I mean, like we've only... He has, he has no regard for decorum when it comes to the radio. We've only had this time slot for, what, five years, six years, something like that? So it's like, anyway. Um, so anyway, so those are, my, those are my suggestions. The other thing you could do, you could make a juice out of it, and then, I mean, it's a little late to make it. You could mash it and then, and then clarify it later. It'll eventually settle out if you mash it. I don't know how much of it you have. Um, but I would I would test a little bit just cook a little bit just do like a uh, like a microwave test on a couple of them to heat them up uh, so that you can do it uh, you know in a finite amount cover it with um, you know almost like steam it right so like you know cover it so it doesn't get desiccated microwave some of it and then uh, taste and see whether you like the flavor I think you'll probably like it I mean I've yep. never had one that I didn't think was at least uh, had some merit okay. I'll, I'll I'll let you know how it goes. That that's helpful. All right, cool. Thanks. All right, happy Thanksgiving. You too. Oh, and back to uh, the uh, original question thrown in about cannibalism. Well known, well known fact that uh, human beings are referred to as a long pig. So my guess is is that we're closest to pork. And if you're a fan of Patrick Martin's Heritage Pigs, you know that the Heritage Pigs uh, are not necessarily uh, white meat. You know what I mean? Anyway. Um, but I don't know if all, you know, obviously we have different different muscle groups that do different things. So I would, I would bet that there is a difference in, uh, I mean, it's, we should stop talking yeah. about it. Stop talking. Stop talking about it. Uh, you want to take another call? Uh, sure. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. Uh, I was wondering your thoughts on Thanksgiving turkey. I'm going to be doing low temp bird this year. Um, so I'm not going to have traditional pan drippings, but I do have, of course, the carcass. I can make stock. I could roast it. I could... Uh, 
you know, use some modern stuff like lecithin or xanthan gum. I've got Wondra. What do, what do you do at your house, and what are your thoughts on Thanksgiving turkey generally? Okay, so what I do t- uh, typically is uh, when you have the carcass, I'll rip out the carcass. I'll sometimes supplement it with some parts for gravy to get kind of uh, more, more meat on it. But yeah, I roast it, and then I make a, a stock. Uh, and so if you have a pressure cooker, uh, I'll typically I'll make um, <clears throat> sometimes a double stock. Sometimes I'll start with a chicken, like a light chicken base, and then turkey it just to make it um, even more so, but I, I don't always. It depends on kind of kind of what mood I'm in. Uh, then once you have that that base stock, you could you could really get like a, a, a nice uh, nice gravy even in the because remember when you're roasting off the carcass, if you roast off the giblets and all the other stuff, you can get a lot of the same stuff that you would get uh, if you had your normal uh, pan drippings, right? So you can get like a lot of that same effect as long as you don't lose the liquids that are in the bottom of your roasting pan as long as you deglaze the bottom of your roasting pan and dump that in when you get the stock and then when you pressure cook it that those flavors get even browner so i think that uh you know a lot of people's love of pan drippings is that obviously you know there's not there's nothing that tastes kind of like you know that little piece of skin that goes down and then glues itself to that freaking carrot in the pan and gets all brown and crusty and coated with turkey fat and you pick it up and you eat it I mean that's delicious as long as you salt it as long as you salt it but the um you know I think you get a lot of that same effect just by using the carcass and in fact like uh the the peace of mind I get by making my uh, stock well in advance and having it basically gravy ready and not having to worry about it when you're pulling your bird out is a huge benefit to me. Huge, huge benefit to me. Uh, But now going back to the thickening, I never use uh, xanthan uh, in it except... So xanthan, you should only ever think of xanthan in these kind of situations as like um, the, the fine focus knob on a camera, right? You want to get your you want to get your coarse focus with uh, kind of standard uh, thickener. So whether you're a you know whether you're a wonder person, you know I'm I've like re- what I typically do that and you know is I tend to use regular flour. I tend to use regular flour uh, and you know sometimes I'll do a, a, a roux if I'm you know and then if I if I'm too late to do a roux or I really messed up, I'll just take a couple of cups. You shouldn't do this. It's a very bad idea. But I'll do a, I'll do a couple of cups, and then I'll just vita prep the hell out of it. It'll knock all of the the uh, uh, lumps back out, and then I'll dump the vita prep stuff back into the into the pot, and then you know you never get any lumps that way. Uh, but that's really cheating. Like obviously, I'm supposed to tell you the science behind it, whereby you're like, well, uh, starch will tend to clump if you put it into uh, hot liquid. So you would make a slurry of it in cold liquid, and then stir quickly the cold liquid slurry into your hot uh, liquid so that it uh, you know disperses before it hydrates. That's what I'm supposed to tell you. But in the real life, you're like, oh God, I don't have it, and then you just like throw some into the Vita Prep and. And then dump it back in, and everything's copacetic. Uh, at the now, uh, some people believe, uh, and I don't really know where I am on this. The old Escoffier thing, whereby uh, flour, uh, you know, in a, in a base to thicken, should either be cooked almost not at all, just to the boil, or for like twenty or thirty minutes, and that anything in between gives a kind of a floury taste. I don't really know if that's the case, um, but. There's there at the end, you know. Some people, if you need to thicken up at the end, that's when people usually get like their burmani, right? So they'll they'll mash some. I don't. 
the thing is, I don't know anyone that uses Burmanee that doesn't just have it in the fridge. And I don't know anyone that doesn't that has it in the fridge unless they're professional, right? But Burmanee mm-hmm. is a really good way to thicken stuff up at the end. But remember, it also adds fat and sometimes can leave a, like a sheen on the top uh, top of what you're doing. Now, uh, on whether you're going to use uh, at the end the fine focus, right? If if you have the flavor of your stuff correct, and you're worried that adding a little more. Uh, like uh, starch in the form of flour or whatever, if you're afraid that that is going to kill the taste or mute the flavor too much, right, that's when you can add a little bit of xanthan, but you never want to add more than about, you know, a gram per liter uh, of, or two grams per liter. So that's like, you know, less than a quarter, well under a quarter of a percent. And you only want it to kind of move because you don't want your gravy as it cools off gets kind of jiggly enough, so you don't want it to kind of look all like uh, jiggly and and jelly. That's kind of unpleasant. Although my gravies actually, when they cool, will set hard like a gel because I use very thick stocks. Like the stocks that I mm-hmm. use as my gravy base gel pretty freaking hard. So my typically, like I have very very strong stocks for my gravy, so they'll get almost like they'll get real hard when they get when they get um, super cold, but. Uh, xanthan, you know, it can be problematic that way. So just don't use too much of it. But to use it, like I say, as a fine focus. Another thing is this. Uh, Cornstarch uh, is unpleasant, I think, as the sole uh, thickener in a gravy. It just doesn't look right. You know what I mean? It looks like cornstarch sauce. However, you can add some cornstarch um, to a sauce at the end to increase its thickening uh, without uh, compromising um you know, as long as, you know, your initial base was flour, it will add that extra thickening and doesn't need to be cooked off the way flour does because it's a pure starch. You get what I'm saying? Uh, another, yep. another thing is if you're doing Southwest flavors, uh, maseca, masa harina is an interesting, uh, thickener that tends to disperse rather easily and thickens in, but it doesn't fully dissolve. You'll sometimes see some little particles of it and it adds a definite masa flavor to your product. But, um, you know, I'll use, I'll use uh, a little bit of masa sometimes in uh, flour in, uh, I don't use it in tortillas cause you know, I don't, but I sometimes use it in pancakes and I sometimes use it in sauces. I'll sometimes, if you're making a, if you're making a pressure cooked gravy, i uh, sorry, a pressure cooked chili. So, you know, to go to, cause gravy and you know, the, the sauce and gravy, when you're pressure cooking a sauce like that, they tend to be too thin cause it's hard to get the, uh, full kind of chili texture in a pressure cooker. Because if you, mm-hmm. if you set your base that way, it might scorch in your pressure cooker. And so typically when you're doing those kind of pressure cooked things, you'll extract the, the, the meat and whatever else, and then you'll, uh, thicken and or reduce the liquids and put them back together again. Or sometimes I'll just toss in a pinch of, uh, masa, uh, of, Masa harina in that, but that's only if you're going on more of a southwestern gravy, which I never do for Thanksgiving. But anyway, right. uh, I, I digress. So that's um, that's kind of what where I would go with it. Okay, awesome. Um, when you do your roux, do you do like a butter roux or like use like pure turkey fat? Like what kind of how do you set that up? I've done both. I mean, in general, I have like a lot of uh, you know on Thanksgiving, I have a lot of turkey fat kind of sitting around, and so I will I will use it. I honestly don't think there's that much of a difference. You know, I just, I don't, uh, like in the grand scheme of things, I just don't, I, I never consider it, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of whatever is at hand at the moment. I mean, because also, you know, whenever I'm shopping for Thanksgiving, the first thing on the list is like infinite pounds of butter, like infinite pounds of butter, because you got mashed potatoes, 
you got your stuffing that all requires butter you know um if you're doing a roasted turkey i'll base the hell out of that that's butter so it's like you know it's like you know if you make biscuits or parker house rolls butter 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 you know what i mean so it's like butter butter everywhere you know so uh i usually have a lot of it lying around but turkey fat also good all right great well thank you all right and uh, i also don't care too much on how dark my roux is because often you know like i like i say my my sauce is significantly brown already so um anyway see people if they won the spins all video contest they like doing personal phone calls with you what i don't know nastasia's random anyway we gotta take a break real quick all right take a break we'll be right back happy thanksgiving cooking issues Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. The germ is only about 2.5% of the kernel. It's actually the sprouting section of the seed, what's going to grow into a plant. It's usually separated during milling process because it contains most of the fat and therefore has a shorter shelf life. The endosperm is the main energy storage unit of the seed. That's where the growing plant gets its energy before it can start start photosynthesizing and making its own. It makes up a huge portion of the grain, about 83%, and it's the main source that's used for white flour. When you make white flour, you get rid of the germ and the bran and just have the white endosperm left. It contains almost all the carbohydrates. It also contains protein and iron and some of the other B vitamins as well. It's kind of what you classically think of when you're thinking of flour. So all that's there when you're milling with whole grains, but when you mill with whole grains, you also get the bran, which is the kind of roughage and gives the, that's what gives that, that kind of color to it. Also so it gives you extra fiber that uh, helps you to be regular. And you also get the germ, which adds the fat and the flavor, which we all like from whole grains. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. And we're back. And uh, we're joined now in the studio with uh, Heritage Radio founder, Patrick Martins. Thanks for having me. So here's what he, he, he literally walks in in the middle of the break. He's like, hey, listen. I know I called you during the radio, but he's like, you know, listen, you know how you can tell a heritage bird when you look at the picture? How is it, Patrick? High kill bone. High kill bone. Round like, basketball he... breast, that is a ripoff, not heritage. He's like, he's, like, he's like, I look at the magazines, they say they have a heritage bird, I look at the kill bone, not why a heritage Why would bird. it be like a basketball? Well, uh, basically commodity, the broad-breasted white has been overbred for hundreds of generations to have huge breasts, Mm -hmm. huge, big, round basketball breasts. So if you Mm -hmm. see a round bird with a huge round breast and it's being sold as heritage, you know you're getting Mm -hmm. ripped off. The other thing, birds over 24, 25 pounds, probably not heritage. Also, black pin feather marks is a sign that it is heritage. Mm -hmm. And also, huge, thick legs, where the legs are almost bigger than the breast. That's how you know it's heritage, because they run around. So, Patrick, I hear, I hear that. Are you going to run a special uh, in Heritage Meats for the after Thanksgiving? By the way, yes, turkey, turkey, I was talking to Dax the other day. I have two questions I need to get to before we go. But I, I was talking to Dax uh, the other day, and, he, and they were learning about, uh, like, you know, first contact, you know, Columbus and whatnot. I was like, okay, so Dax, name a list of things that we have, we have here, like, you know, in, in the new world that they didn't have in the old ones. He didn't come up with turkey. 
Turkey is like our thing. Well, you know, Dax was more right than you think. You know, you don't give him enough credit. Because actually, the turkey came, the turkey we eat today was brought back to Europe by the early explorers, bred there in kind of what they say improved, and then brought back to the U.S. And that Europeanized breed was bred with the wild turkey, which is the turkey we eat today. So actually, we eat a Europeanized turkey. If you yeah, but all it. of it so is from, just, right. be, just because the turkey moved to Europe for a, you know, a century or two doesn't mean it still doesn't come from here. Dax you know is what I mean? more modern than you. He's looking oh, at more man. current history. You're I'm going t- way back. I'm telling you, man. Guajalote. Guajalote. Did, did he get the tomato? Did he get corn? He got corn. Okay. He got the tomato. He got the potato, which I was happy good. with. That's good. He didn't get chocolate, and he didn't get vanilla. Oh, he still has stuff to learn, Dax. Yeah, yeah. He didn't get chocolate. He didn't get vanilla. Uh, what else? There's so many things that are mm-hmm. for only from here. You know what I mean? Uh, what else? What else? Salmon? Oh. Is that no, there's only ones in over Alaska? There. No, there's, there's ones, ones over there. Over there? Uh, most beans. Mm. Most, be- or as Cesare would call them. Fajoli? Beans. Beans. <laughs> uh Anyway, so uh, we're going to keep uh, Patrick here for a minute. I got a question, a couple questions I got to get to. Micah writes in, hopefully I can sneak this in for today's show, and so you have. Uh, turducken, I want to do a turducken using boned out whole birds. What's the best practice? I've got meat glue and a circulator. I'm serving enemy of quality. I'm serving enemies of quality, so a slightly overdone breast is the least of my worries. Cheers, Micah. Okay, very important. So the, the traditional, um, the traditional, like uh, Louisiana turducken, right, is uh, kind of uh, backwards in terms of how it's assembled in for a modern palate and how we like to cook meat because the their duck they're doing it simply based on size and to put a duck inside uh you know uh they, 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 it's arranged such that you have to overcook the hell out of everything to cook you know the stuff that's on the sure. inside you know what I'm saying. It's like stuffing. Stuffing elongates the cooking time of a heritage turkey, so you're not supposed to put stuffing inside a heritage turkey. You're not supposed to stuff any bird. Yeah, Yeah. anything inside anything else leads to overcooking. Well, it doesn't. It only overcooks it if you want to cook the stuffing to a temperature that's safe. Right. Like in fact, like a technique that I use sometimes is uh, I'll use hot stuffing. So it's actually it's Mm. difficult to it's difficult to do um, hot stuffing uh, because it burns the hell out of you, but. Um, one way to really do a fast cook on a bird is to is to make a log of stuffing, then um, put it in the oven, cook the hell out of it, or put it like in a zippy, cook the hell out of it, then rip the you know cut the backbone like you're spatchcocking the bird, mm-hmm. rip the rip the all the bones out of the kind of breast and back area, and then lay that like lay it over the super hot stuffing, and then mm-hmm. it cooks from both directions and cooks ra- rather quickly. But it's an advanced technique. I'm not going to say you guys are going to do it because you probably won't. But it's fast and and, and it's pretty good. Uh, but turduckins typically are arranged in a way such that you have to overcook the duck. Now, a lot of old school people love overcooked duck, especially if you're using um, people just like some people just like overcooked duck. I mean, think about this: you like not the breast, but you like the legs when they're confit, right? Dark those, meat, yeah. Those are horribly, but those are horribly. They're, they, they, you love them even though they're technically overcooked because you cook them enough such right. that they're tender. Unless and, you separate them early on. Which famous football coach and uh, yeah and announcer put turducken on the national map? It had always existed, but there was one football announcer that mentioned it, and it became a real big thing. You after could that. you could say any person, and I would say, okay, that's a football announcer. John Madden. Oh, really? Yeah, ex Raiders coach. He brought it up. It was hilarious. What the hell does he have to know about it? I don't know, but he brought it up. Isn't he a California guy? Uh, well, he was a Raider coach. I don't know where he was born. 
Anyway, so back to the turduckins. If you have, here's the problem with turducken. Uh, I've made many, many of them low temperature. So Nils and I used, uh, what we used to do is we would arrange the birds in the order that they want to cook. So we would do actually, we would, we did a, a turkey, then a chicken, then uh, a duck, then a squab, and we would lay them and we would roll them. The problem is, is that it's hard to get the roll to be centered. And then what you do is you throw everything into uh, like 67 uh, degree, um, and you put sausage layers in between, obviously, in 67 degree uh, stuff, and then you pull it when the center, when the squab gets to be like 57, 58, and then everything is kind of cooked properly through the mm. tube. But you need the tube to be not too thick. And actually, when you slice through a bunch of meat like that that's perfectly cooked, it's a, it's a little off-putting, right, Nastasia? You've had it. can be a little what, off-putting. physically, like looking at it or taste-wise? We have this giant target. Like. You have a giant target of meat. Like it's a giant target of meat. And I think in general, people would prefer to have like slices off of it to have like a little bit of each thing rather mm-hmm. than like a giant like like log like like arrow target of meat. I think it's and, and especially if the middle of it is like rare, like squab, you know, 50, you know, 57, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 56, because uh, when I'm cooking duck breast on its own, I cook at the 57 mm-hmm. Celsius, which is 135. And then I'll crisp up the skin, and that's how I want my duck breast. A lot of old school Frenchies actually like it more cooked than that. When I'm mm-hmm. cooking squab, it's lower, like 55, mm-hmm. right? But you want your tur- – and then but turkey, all of that stuff is really moist when it's at like 66. Uh, you know, So your, ch- your chicken in this case is going to be at like 60, 65. Your turkey is going to be at like 66. All the stuff is kind of really wet and moist at that point, which is okay if you have a crispy outside and then a little piece. But when you're looking at something that's the size of your dinner plate and it's all that texture, mm-hmm. it can be a little problematic. So uh, one thing you can do is then cut the discs and fry the fry it so that those discs get like a crisp section all the way across but maintain mm-hmm. their cooked section in the middle and then make sure you have uh, plenty of gravy. You can also confit out the legs, mix them in with whatever sausage mixture you want and spread those in to get some textural variation. But it's all about textural variation in between. Uh, and just remember that you have to get smaller and smaller. Think about a sushi roll. The stuff that you put in a sushi roll, it looks like you're not putting enough into the middle. But then when you roll it, you realize that, oh, my God, I put too much in the middle and now my nori doesn't close anymore. So when you're making a roll like that, you should look up on the Cooking Issues blog how to do rolling in plastic because that's how you should do it if you're going to do tube tube turduckins, which is mm-hmm. kind of what we used to do. Um, but anyway, that's how that's how we used to do it, and those are some of the things I'd, I'd look out for. I noticed in European, we have Americans make kind of value-added specialty meats for us, and Europeans do it. And the Europeans are always confident to put the various tastes and textures in different parts of a roast, like a porchetta, so that no one bite is the same. And if you want the kind of salty, meaty stuff, that's only every third or fourth bite. Whereas the Americans try to put everything all in one. So every single bite is like a home run hit, and it's not like as nuanced. All of porchetta is flavored. It's just it's crispy on the outside. Well, it has like uh, rings of different things. So you can't get every taste. Are you gonna do? Every, yeah, I well. mean, like, wait, but wait, you have your porchetta has different things in the rings. Well, you can't get all the tastes in one bite because it's a big piece, and the Europeans will do that. Whereas the Americans seem to mush everything together, and I you do get one thing. That. I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah, I, I, I love porchetta. Oh my god, I love porchetta. Well, porchetta is often ripped off because it's often like shoulder or just the loin. It's not the deboned pork middle wrapped around the belly. Dipalo's uh, Italian specialty food store makes a, a fantastic porchetta, I think. That's what, do you, true. Do you like their porchetta, mm-hmm. right, Nastasia? Nastasia is a picky, a picky lady. Porchetta. And theirs is very simple. Super simple. Am I allowed to ask about pasta flour on there? Yeah, yeah in one minute, though. Uh, 
So you're going to have some turkeys left over? Uh, we're going to have a 1,000 turkeys left over. So people should be ordering uh, birds for after Thanksgiving. People don't give the turkey. I think everyone's like, I was listening to NPR, and they're like, oh, turkey, yeah, what do you do with it? Turkey's bl- turkey is not bland. Turkey tastes like turkey. Turkey is delicious. Turkey gets Who a bad rep. Uh, people who don't think about life. They think... They think they, they... The Wall Street Journal always dumps on the turkey, too, because they think it's too expensive, the heritage breed, so they try to say, oh, turkey doesn't really taste of anything. Inevitably, the Wall Street Journal will write an article every single Thanksgiving saying that the $200 turkey's a ripoff. What do you do to them to... Uh, to... There, that's just their shtick, and the New York Times goes the other direction. Their food section's always trying to say, oh, you know, you might want to pay for quality. The Wall Street Journal, that is their thing. It's anti-slow food. But, I mean, in general, I like the flavor of turkey and don't find turkey yeah. to be bland or without flavor or... I mean, I think it's difficult to cook because all whole animals are difficult to cook. And it's one of the only times we take on the challenge of cooking a whole animal is on, uh, well, chickens we do, but we're used to chickens, and and on Thanksgiving with the turkey. The taste of turkey that most Americans know is just added salt because it's the commodity turkey where they add salt to it to add flavor. But the heritage turkey is, you know, one of the best meats in the world. has a higher percentage of dark meat. So, Patrick, what do you think of commodity turkeys? <laughs> Just messing with you. So are you going to run a sale after Thanksgiving or no? Well, we take 10 or $12 off. That doesn't, uh, it doesn't discount how much the turkey costs to grow. So, I mean, we can't discount it too much. But, yeah, it's a little definitely bit. cheaper because yeah, it's frozen. Yeah, and I think, but I think that's what I'm saying. People should think about the turkey as an all-year. For instance, if you want to make your traditional uh, – so these would be closer then to like something for a traditional like guajalote for like a mole or something. Well, all seasonal meat should be eaten a lot of when they're in season. Turkeys are seasonal meat, ducks, geese, lamb, goat. All the other animals have sex all the time. Nice. They're available all the time. Nice. Uh, all right. I'm going to take this question real quick, and then we'll, then you can do the pasta flour question. Ready? Yeah. Uh, then we got to go. All right. So uh, I got it. we got a question in from Prashant. By the way, uh, I had a good friend in high school named Prashant, and he was the guy who – at our reunion, came back and was not forgiving of anyone that had bothered him. He was the guy who at the high school reunion was like, you sucked in high school. I hated you in high school. And he still held the grudge. Wow. 20, 30 years. Yeah. I was like, Prashant, man. That's impressive. I was like, what'd you do to him? I never held the grudge for more than five or 10 years. I I was standing next to him and like, you know, someone would come up who, you know, was a dick in high school or, and, and he would be like, you were a dick. I don't forgive you. you and then they would walk it. away. I was like, I love it, but it's, 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 it's kind of like watching Veep or, or, or meet, meet the Fockers. Like I cringe a little bit, but I, it's, I love it. Are you still a bully to people or have you it wasn't become me. the bully? <laughs> <laughs> he, was my friend. Oh. he was the guy who used to, he was, Prashant is the reason for a lot of my musical taste. He would make me all mixtapes okay. of like. So this isn't you. This is really, you're not just using a friend as an example because it was I had really this you. Friend. I had this friend who was really insecure. It's not me. He wasn't insecure at all. That's my whole point. (laughs) Anyway, uh, this is Prashant. And before I ask my question, I want uh, to let you and Dave know that I am not a chef. I just cook for myself. Being Indian, using a lot of spices, I have been wondering about the science behind them and how they interact slash change during the process of cooking. Is there any resource appropriate for my level you could direct me to? I'm looking to improve the flavors of my dishes and was hoping that knowing the science would help. And it's a difficult question because uh, I think a lot of people, when they focus on the science of spices in particular, it tends to quickly devolve into a discussion of this particular chemical or that particular chemical. I would say, in general, obviously, anything that 
Harold McGee writes is something you should look at. And uh, he has a couple segments in um, uh, Mind of the Chef that, you know, I, I would look to. Um, there's a couple of books that are about pairing on a quote-unquote molecular level. And as a thesis, I find it problematic at best. I think, you know, we should... Instead of focusing, I think sometimes the chemistry can be very interesting, but focusing on the chemistry, I think, really uh, turns off kind of what your, uh, you know, what's going on in your palate and your mind. I think there's certain things that you know are very useful. Like I say, to keep in mind, for instance, like if you know things are sulfur-based, you know that they're going to react, you know, rather violently with heat. Change a lot. I mean, with heat, like alliums, onions, things like that. Um, but I don't know. I would check out – I mean obviously if you don't have On Food and Cooking, go buy On Food and Cooking. His next book might address this a lot more because it's going to go into chemical compounds like how terpenes work, how things like this work. But I think most people tend to just throw around words like terpene and not actually use it to help them become a, a, a better cook. Look at what – you can look for um, you know, what Mandy Aftel and, uh, and um, you know, Patterson have done recently. Like uh, you know, that's got some interesting stuff on how this stuff interplays and some of the science behind it because uh, you know, he's, he's interested in those things and she's interested in those things. But it is rather uh, difficult. We, we should get – we should get – when Arielle's on the show next, we'll ask her for – you know, she's our – our flavor. She's not a flavor chemist. That's a different thing. But she is. She's a chemist who studies flavor, right? But she's not like she's not a flavorist. Yeah, that's and a like New job. Jersey and those big factories. She does not live in New Jersey. She's at MIT. <laughs> but we'll have her on. Uh, maybe we can have her on before the. Uh, she's gonna come back. In before the. December, yeah. She's coming back in December. Mm-hmm. All right. So Patrick, you had a question now. Pasta fire. I mean, how are all the Italian restaurants in the city dealing with how? This pasta is so good and so cheap. I mean, do you think it's going to drive down the pasta at restaurants around the city? What do you drive down? Because, I mean, for $7, you get a pasta that's as good as basically almost any other restaurant. I mean, Italian food is supposed to be cheap. So when people charge a lot whoa, whoa, for whoa, whoa, it, whoa, whoa, what is this pasta? Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, inexpensive. Why is it supposed to be inexpensive? I think Italian food is basically just seasonal things, simple pasta. So you go to Massimo Baturo's restaurant, and you're like, oh, supposed to be inexpensive over here. Well, that's the thing, yeah. Il Molino, (laughs) these expensive restaurants where you're eating, you know, spending $45 for a pasta is, you know, now Mark is doing it for seven. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's basically proven that pasta should never cost more than eight or ten bucks. Well, I mean, truffles is one thing. Well, yeah. I disagree with the premise because it's like food isn't just about like any one particular dish like food at a restaurant like I think look I think the problem is is that we put so much emphasis on high what's a high end uh, cooking that we kind of the, the flavor of a dish is different from the ingredients that you use and the staff that you have to pay for and the time and the stuff you're throwing away I mean it's not always about the skill of execution of a particular dish you know, and, you know, because, you know, Pacifier, you know, Stasia can talk about it. You know, they spent a boat ton of money on the back end to get the stuff such that because they know they're going to do it in huge amount of bulk and they've erased the need for a hyper skilled person at every second to be looking at it. Like that's where all the money is spent. But that doesn't mean that the money well, the that someone charges at a restaurant is valid because they have different overhead. They have different a different expectation of, uh, you know, the service you get at the table, a different expectation for all of that stuff. Mm, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. I just think it's uh, it's basically saying, 
you can have a world class quality pasta for seven bucks. I think that's yeah, but Nastasia is not illegally a butchering a rabbit in the, in the back of pasta flyer and making like you know. But a, they you spend know, a lot of money on sausage. other things. They spend a lot of money on equipment and all that, and they do have a big staff. I mean, it still requires a staff to run the fast food. Joint, how how fast is the, how fast is the pickup, Stas? How fast is the how fast is the, the register on the pasta? takes more time to pay than it does to get the pasta. That's how quick the pasta is. Yeah, the pickup is, is. like and it's exquisite, it's instant. And when I take it to go on the L train all the way to Brooklyn, it's still exquisite. Yeah, these guys it's are the these guys are the Clarence Bird's Eye of pasta. Oh, I mean, yeah, the frozen peas right there. Clarence Bird's Eye. Yo, way, yo, whoa, It's amazing. The pasta fire <laughs> pasta is amazing. It's Thanks, so Thanks. delicious. Thanks. Everybody says it. Italian people I work with, everybody. It's unbelievable. You work with Italian people? Yeah. Parlo italiano perfettamente. I speak five languages. Radio. Nastasia, you? I used to speak Italian well. I do not mm. speak it well anymore. You speak Dave, Davish? I speak Dave Arnold very well. <laughs> oh, come on, please. Please. Hey, you know what we need to bring back? Use. Use guys. Use. Yeah. Use. Use. You mean use. young people? No, no. use. <laughs> not utes. Those are. The, can't you speak English? The two utes. It's utes. Like, how do you say sandwich? You gotta, we gotta sandwich. bring back the sandwich. 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 <laughs> anyway, like, uh, I was, I was watching the Vietnam documentary and listening to the. Um, this is not. This is. This, this. It's about to get political. No, no, no. I was listening to the New York accents from the. They they were interviewing protesters on both sides in in the se- in the sixties and seventies in New York, and we just don't have those kind of accents. Everyone sounds a little bit like Bugs Bunny because Bugs Bunny's mm-hmm. original accent was based mm-hmm. on, you know, a New York, mm-hmm. like a hodgepodge of New York accents. And most of those accents was like kind of awesome, kind of, I mean, I like them. Like There's work, transplants here. Working now. class, like New York accents. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, regional dialects, regional accents are all being phased out. Yeah. You know, it's sad. Yeah. Languages. Yeah, you know, well, well, it's not necessarily sad. I think it's sad. Uh, you know. So, yeah. Do you have something happy to end with on Thanksgiving, Patrick? Anti-homogenization menu, uh, um, idea? Uh, yeah, well, it's Thanksgiving. It's the one holiday that everyone celebrates, right? I mean, who doesn't well, celebrate Thanksgiving? Foreigners? Well, yeah. In America. <laughs> in America. Dak says to me... Native who, Americans? Dak says to me... Ooh. Well, uh, Dak, Dak says to me... Who goes to 7-Eleven on Thanksgiving, Dad? I was like, hey, we have plenty of foreigners yeah. here who don't care about Thanksgiving, and they need somewhere to go shop, right? Yeah, that's true. You know? Anyway. Hopefully they're going to Dean and DeLuca or something. Better. What? But yeah, 7-Eleven, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure that's everyone's first stop when they get to New York. They're like, oh, brand new co- Dean and DeLuca. All right, final thoughts? Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Cooking Issues. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. ¶¶